in today's episode, Vision of the Future. This is Quan and Leo. Hi Quan. Hi Leo. Red pill or blue pill? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, what are the choices? So red pill will grant you a life that is in control of AI, and blue pill you would be captivated by alien species. Alien species. Uh, I don't really like the idea of aliens or like other species controlling me, so I would choose the red pill. I want AI. What about me? Ask me. All right, all right. What about you? Oh yeah. So I would choose the blue pill because you know creating our own doom is just not a good way to go. We have created AI, and now letting them control over us—that's just too mess up. But doesn't that like slimy alienness just grosses you out? You know, think about aliens laying eggs inside you. That's just disgusting. But that emotionless robot can just rip up your limbs at any point, right? You cannot just predict those. Yeah, those both sound really violent and gross at the same time. It just fascinates me how even us see different futures of the mankind. Oh, and you know what? That is our main topic today, which is how different sci-fi authors see the future differently with their own anxiety and fears that reflects the modern society. Really, uh, but before I go in, did you know sci-fi is a relatively new genre? Like the first Frankenstein movie, which was made in 1818, that's still not a long time ago. People in the past have written stories with uh, paper, like TVs, <clears throat> which we all know that is the iPad today. And I have to say, sci-fi has been a booming genre for the recent times. Like Ray Bradbury made so much stories about it, and even sci-fi is projecting our future. I believe that it influences technology for our future, but I just don't know how it does that, how it projects the future. Personally, I believe that the genre has influenced so much of the time we live in today. Our society and people we live with. Uh, as I said before, the phones and iPad were introduced first in late works, and I think that is very fascinating how he can just predict so so closely to 80 years later. What is your all-time favorite sci-fi movies or stories? I've recently watched The Matrix, so that's my favorite by now. Do you also like The Matrix? I love The Matrix. <laughs> oh, and you know the part where the two characters are in the white screen, the blank screen, where they say, "What is real? How do you define that?" Oh, when Neo first arrives in the Matrix. Yes. Uh, wh why do you like that part the most? I like it because, you know, it shows the uh, how programming can be broken and hacked sometimes. And in this case, Morpheus hacked the systems. I thought it would be better because, you know, I personally, 
I also saw the scene and saw it very impressive because it shows, you know how Matrix right now, mm-hmm. there is no evidence of it being fake, right? Yes. Because how can you say the Matrix isn't real? Oh, oh yeah. Am I real? You see, exactly. Like, there is the concept of mentioning and questioning reality, like saying what is real and AI just faking real and we not having evidence. I think that's a really good future outlooking story. I agree. And you know, there are several tropes in the Matrix. The one I want to point out is the Jesus figure. The one for which is Neo. The one saved everyone and everything in existence. This stories is heavily influenced by the Christian messianic archetype trope, where in media terms, a character who saved everyone from a situation filled with a despair. And I think it normally comes with great sacrifice, like in this story, Neo. For me, I think that Jesus has great influence on people and he's very famous. So having a good representation would guide more Christian throughout the stories. With Jesus as the representations, we get a more versatile uh, effect of Neil. We get better understanding of him through the Jesus interpretations, his charm and his aura. Uh, my favorite part is when Morpheus gets captured. It's not to do with sci-fi, but thinking in a philosophical sense, it's the agent says to Morpheus, some believe we lack the programming language to describe your perfect world. But I believe that as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. That just saying our world needs pain to actually feel real, just questions how we will ever reach utopia. Yeah, I think we've talked, now we're just bored of Matrix, right? Let's move on to the next topic, shall we? What is your favorite trope in Skyfire? Um, my personal thought, I think Apocalyptic would be my all-time favorite. Do you know the story Blood Child? Yeah, I've read it a couple of times before. So, in some perspective, it is, it is about colonizations and invasions. In the story, Alien are described as rapists. Rapists, yeah, yes. right. But if you read the stories very carefully, you know that the human is actually the original invaders and not the aliens the warning for the warning of these stories is that progress of human might might always have consequences super fast pace of progress like technology in today's world in the past 30 40 years um, so so many inventions and innovations have been made and we are already afraid and aware of AI existence and how it can ruin and 
affect our futures. Perspective and powerful are indeed very influential. The author in The Blood Child has interpreted the future of mankind in a very negative way. Setting humans like bugs and just tools for their needs reproduction in this case. In the passage in Bloodchild that says, You know these things, Gan. Because your people arrive, we are relearning what it means to be a healthy, thriving people. And your ancestors fleeing from their home world, from their own kind who have killed or enslaved them. They survived because of us. We saw them as people and gave them the preserve when they tried to kill us as worms. I think that the author wants to point out uh, what and when the progress and technologies are becoming too advanced, resources are lack, and so we as a society would want to fight for our survival. It's our normal instinct. The treatment of the race going back and forth for some times. From the cult and your ancestors fleeing from their home world from their own kind whether killed or enslaved them. The fear of getting outsmarted in the future is one of the main fears of the author Octavia Butler. And in my opinion, the author has had excellent use of description to make the scenes somehow feel relatable, you know? Because we know that we wouldn't do anything in order to adapt, even if we need to destroy. So I think the moral of the story is just don't get too cocky outside the zone. How do you feel? So, um, who is in the wrong here? Do you think that the alien or the humans? I still think aliens. Because when I've read the story, it was kind of like aliens somehow faking us. Because like, although we're the ones are traveling, they used the term protection as of like a peace canopy yeah. and then basically what they've done is made an excuse explicitly so we could feel safe within their fake protection and then just use us as like as you said just lay eggers yeah what about you i mean as it is one of my favorite stories i know that the humans are wrong here the humans have origi originally invaded the planet without consent, and so the perspective is key. When you read the story, you only get to know the perspective in that particular period of time, which is long, long after the colonizations of the humans. So I think that aliens are. <laughs> Aliens are the right and they should they should treat the humans like how they treat them earlier. Ah. 
but that was your favorite story. I actually found that really gross while reading. Didn't you feel disgusting? No. I mean, yeah, putting egg inside of male's bodies. It's quite gross, but if you read it again and again, that is completely normal. <laughs> Does it help though? Does it help? Yes, you, you, should, you should read it again and again. Uh, Try me. I think the author just basically wanted to just go with like that gross new alien invasion type of thing. Sure. So, what is your favorite tropes? My favorite is time travel. Time travel, you know, it's a story that can be easily messed up with all those paradoxes. Do you know the grandfather paradox? Have uh, you ever heard of it? I've never heard of it. Can you tell me more about it? Grandfather paradox is basically when you make a mistake, you kill your grandfather, uh -huh. but then that means you won't exist anymore, right? Yeah. But if you didn't exist, how can you kill your grandfather? So your grandfather will still be alive, but then you will also still be alive, which you will kill your grandfather. So that's like this infinite loop that a question can never be answered. And I think those paradoxes ruin the genre, but my favorite story, Ray Bradbury's The Sound of Thunder, I think he did a really good job just cutting out all the paradoxes and focusing on that one specific warning of how small actions, in that case he steps on a butterfly, could just influence the entire society to become a fascist, whatever their government was. That also, I feel like respect to Bradbury when I read it because he kind of predicted climate change and like that act of things you do have actual responsibility towards nature. Like which part? Can you tell me in particular which scene in the story? The passage that showed how different futures are portrayed in his view was uh, there's a passage that says, Time Safari Inc. Safaris to any year in the past. You name the animal, we take you there. You shoot it. Echoes felt himself fall into a chair. He fumbled crazily at the thick slime on his boots. He held up a clod of dirt, trembling. No, it can't be. Not a little thing like that. No. Embedded in the mud, glistening green and gold and black, was a butterfly very beautiful and very dead. That, again, is showing a butterfly effect, how a little butterfly had just died. That, it just, even the text that basically says the same thing before Echoes time-traveled, but it's disoriented into a weird spelling, a weird format that only sounds the same. I think the fact that he changed the language specifically, that proves how, because language is a huge part of human beings, that's what I think. Because language allows you to talk, communicate and everything. And if language changes, that's a whole culture and history that's changed. So I think he used that different spelling specifically to emphasize how that small little golden black butterfly that got stomped by his foot influenced the whole future like that's his just fear of how we might in the future create our own time machine and since we do not have good idea on it 
the first travelers might actually commit what they've just done. And the scary thing he sees is that now no one else would know except the time travelers. Just like in the Matrix, you don't know if it's real or fake. What have you been experiencing? Can I ask you something? Sure. Can science fiction be as effective and important as classic literature? Of course, but why do you ask that? I just want to know the importance of uh, the genre to our society and I want to know the different perspective of different people. Uh, my perspective says yes. It's sci-fi, which is a form of fiction. It engages imagination and it builds on our future with technology. Even before we saw that, different innovations were written before in sci-fi and then they were translated into real life. What, what about you? I would say no because classic literature is often considered timeless, which is which means that even after hundred or decades you can still get a feeling and understand it clearly but with sci-fi it can be expired like Bradbury for example he has made some prediction of the iPads and iPhone we know today and by now we don't find it so impressive and new anymore because we already have that and it's just our common knowledge of that and that is what exists in our universe we live in today so i i kind of disagree with that because you know how since we don't find it not so impressive that we have ipads or technology right now that just adds on to like that, you know, realization that before decades ago, things like that weren't common because you never imagine living without, for example, not being able to call FaceTime anyone. But a few 10 years ago, that wasn't even a thing. They couldn't even imagine that. So the fact that our daily life becomes a part of fantasy in the past that itself is timeless and impressive. I agree. And to conclude everything, we would love to thank Liam for contributing and I think that part contributing to this project podcast. I am Quan and this is Liam. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. <laughs>